Hello, everybody, and welcome along to another of our Italian football podcasts to talk about match day 29 of this 22-23 Serie A season. The Easter fixture list was upon us, and it threw us a little bit out of focus. It was a little bit confusing, but to help me make sense of it all, I've got you and Burns with me. Burnsy, hello. Hello. How are you? Wow, I'm taken aback by the enthusiasm that was in your voice. I'm very pleased to hear it. Well, you know, I can always turn it on as soon as we begin recording. I've been moaning off air, well, <laughs> as, as it, we all are all the time. Yeah, very true. Turning it on as soon as we hit record is not something you usually do, to be fair. So I'm grateful you no, decided no, to do it tonight. <laughs> um, we've also got someone who very much does do what you're incapable of doing. Vito Doria. Vito, hello. How are you? Hello, Connor. I'm good. You know, we're here recording after another Easter, another big feed. So now we can focus on the football. I'm going to run an experiment with you, I think, Vito. And I think for your sake, it's best if we do it next week and the week after, which is that you shouldn't come on the podcast because I think Samp win when you're not on the podcast. So (laughs) you've got Lecce and Spezia coming up. I think they're good weeks to maybe miss because... (laughs) <laughs> kind of six pointers down there, but it's an unfortunate one this week. We will get into what happened with Samp, or like because I'm running out of ways to feel sorry for them, and I don't think I'll feel more sorry for any team than I feel for Samp this week. But we had a lot of games played between Friday and Saturday. There were no games on Easter Sunday because that's the way things work in Italy. On Friday, we saw Sereni kind of one into one. Lecce won Napoli 2 and Milan nil, Empoli nil. Not a great set of games, I think it's fair to say, but the action picked up a little bit on Sunday. We had Udinese 2, Monza 2, Fiorentina 1, Spezia 1, Sampdoria 2, Cremonese 3, Atalanta nil, Bologna 2, Torino nil, Roma 1, Verona 2, Sassuolo 1, and Lazio 2, Juventus 1. We're going to start with the big one, which was where it all finished. It was Lazio-Juventus in Rome, in the capital. And Vito, Lazio got the job done. They won 2-1. And I think it's fair enough to say that they were good value for their win. Yeah, they definitely were, especially early on in the game. They were the ones creating the far more dangerous chances. Um, they, They were very slick on the ball as well. Excuse me. And uh, the way they took their chances as well, there were some fine goals as well. They were, like, absolutely were. And even before the chances that they took, they were really carving out some slick moves, some good chances as well. It, it started early, Ewan. Like, Lazio just set the tempo from the off. They had a chance inside, I think it was four minutes. Luis Alberto had that one from, from way out. He basically just picked it up and said, an hour. We're going for this today. We're going to see what's going to happen. Um, Chiro Mobley had a couple of chances. One of them was a gorgeous little volley as the ball dropped over his his shoulder. And then all of that just kind of got us to the point where they got themselves in front through Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. And they were deserving of it, however much Alexandro and Juventus fans will will claim that they weren't. I think it's, it's quite a testament to how how good Lazio are right now that it almost seems like the entire club saw this as like, right, this is a really good opportunity because we are good right now to beat you there at home, which regardless of what 
Juve can be doing in terms of where they are on the table and stuff. That's what every club wants to do. Um, it's just it's absolutely a massive thing for every club. And actually, uh, Alistair did the report for us on Total Half and Time in Football, and he said that it was one of the most partisan press boxes that he's <laughs> ever been in. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's almost like the the entire collective club was like, right, this is the time to beat Juve, and that they you know they they approach the game in that way because they know that they've got the quality to beat this Juve team at the moment and the fact that Juve are in seventh that's not relevant in terms of approaching this game it's not like they've done this against oh this is a crap Juve that if you if you give Juve their points back they're not seventh um they're above Lazio it's it's a good team that they're playing against and you know they as like you said were worthy of their win and there is still the chance that Juventus those points do reappear on the table for Juventus right so it is important to to remember that this Juventus are the second best team in the country when they're playing football on the pitch and other things aren't being considered, despite what you might think of their football. But Lazio are just... When when they get into this rhythm, Vito, they are a joy to watch. Like The fact that they only scored two goals seems wrong to me because the performance was worthy of four or five. Now, I'm not saying Juventus deserve to concede that many, but this felt a little bit more like the, the front foot sarismo that we became accustomed to uh, at Napoli. Yeah, there's similar um, tactical movements, if you like, or passing patterns that occur compared to his Napoli sides. I think the main difference is probably the defensive line is um, not as high as it was at Napoli. And I also think that, I think when it comes to scoring and stuff, with Napoli... He had Higuain and Mertens, whereas I think now, with Immobile not being with the same fitness and form that he's been in previous years, and also uh, Felipe Anderson, although he's been playing well as a false nine, um, he's not producing Mertens-like numbers, and he's a different player to the Belgian as well, so that's another thing. So, But I think if we're talking about uh, certain characteristics in the play, you know, quick movement, playing in the triangles, passing the ball in the tight areas. I think the hallmarks are still there. And uh, even if you say this Lazio team's play Sarismo or Sari ball, I think uh, the Aquilaire will eventually over time create their own identity or take on it because of the players currently available to Sari. Did anything about this game surprise you? Ewan, because I was surprised that Juventus didn't just go and win one nil. Um, yeah, partly that. I think on the preview we sort of suggested that it might not be a thrilling game, which I know we say for every Juve game, but every game in Italy. Yeah, but it was also more in the sense that you you never quite, you know, we we still have that feeling of never quite knowing what you're going to get from that. You know, what whilst they are edging away from that feeling now because they are just in great form and have been for much of the season. Um, it kind of felt like they might just cancel each other out a little bit. But yeah, I think I think Juve might see this as a bit of a missed opportunity. It's almost like they've they've not turned up right when they really needed to in, in a top four sense. They, they've been beating lots of teams, but they need to beat the teams above them when the opportunity arises if they're going to haul people back in again. I still do feel that they're just going to get top four and probably quite comfortably by the end of the season. And I can't 
work out why I'm so confident about that, but I think I'm as confident of that as I am that Napoli will win the title. Like that, I just don't see it as being anything. Because <laughs> of the dross directly ahead of them, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's some bad teams currently in the top four. Well, you've said the word directly ahead of them, which I'm choosing to take as an insult of. <laughs> I more meant the, the three directly ahead. <laughs> and you oh, could so check the leaving. fourth one in as well at, at times. We're, ha- we're having all four of those. We're having <laughs> all four of those, absolutely. Because Roma, Milan, Inter, and Atalanta are at times dross more so the, the three from Lombardia than Roma to give them their credit. But I do want to talk about Sergei's opener because Alexandro went flying to the point where so I'm back home in Ireland at the moment which meant that I could get the the BT commentary on it right and the co-commentator didn't seem to think that there had been a foul but because of what he had seen convinced himself that there must have been a foul, despite what the evidence was showing him. Because Vito, what happened? <laughs> I cannot work out why he fell to the ground in that way. Very opportunistic of Alexandro. Um, I didn't notice it on first glance, but yeah, after seeing it again, I just thought, well, that was just ridiculous. I mean, uh, anything to earn a foul, I suppose. But uh, that's when it comes cringeworthy you see this stuff you know it's easy to single out Serie A because you know it's the league that we cover and it's one of those things that you know Serie A gets a stigma for but you know when you see that stuff you just got to call as it is and it's just plain ridiculous you know in that kind of situation just you know if you have contact just stay on your feet don't try to look for the easy way out or like an easy free kick because sometimes you even botched the free kick anyway. Mm, it, it just, I, I couldn't get my head around it. I, I've seen a lot of people say that it, it was embarrassing, you and, and, and usually I like to avoid going down that path of, of saying that it's embarrassing when people go to the ground, but this just was, wasn't it? It was comical. Yeah, I think he's just misjudged it, isn't he? Because it, it, it's something that happens a lot. I think he's just kind of. He's, he's just overdone it, essentially. And the fact that the decision then didn't go his way immediately makes you look extremely daft. <laughs> it's one of them where, like, on, on another day, he, he, you know, th- th- there's not no contact. Um, on another day, it might have gone the other way and it could have been given as a free kick or whatever, and he doesn't look quite so daft. But I think at that stage of a game, you're not desperate at that, but you, mm. you don't need to do that. You could just defend <laughs> you could just take take defending as the first port of call after that if it's not working maybe you can try something else but it was very very bizarre there was a lot of things in this game that were a little bit slapstick a little bit comical and one of them came pretty soon after and Juventus's equaliser because this has got to be what, what did Alice, Alistair message <laughs> us from the press box at the Olympico right and this is one of those goals where if this happens when I'm at a game I don't know what's happened. And very often, and the Olympic is one of these places, you don't necessarily have access to a TV screen. So where is the message? What did he say? He, um, he called it a scabby Juve corner goal <laughs> <laughs> to end Lazio's clean sheet run. Can, can you fault that? The, his, his wording or the goal? His wording. <laughs> oh, no, the wording's spot on. It's a hilarious goal. It's, it's a goal that encapsulates Juve's 
season. <laughs> I felt offended watching it. It's like that should not equate to the same amount as some of the other things we've seen this season, right? Antonio Candreva's goal, by the way, for example. It was a fluke, but those two things should not be equal. And it was a goal like Juve's on whatever day it was, Friday, makes me think football should have some sort of answer to basketball's three-point rule. Whereas if a goal is so bad, that's only half. It's only half. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could compare it to the the Di Maria one again against um, Nantes in the There he is League. finding a like, way to discuss the French club again. No, no, that that's happens to be who he scored a ridiculous goal against. And it's like, that's worth the same amount as what happened in the Lazio game. Yeah. In, in the currency, it's worth the exact same thing. It's not correct, <laughs> is it? Football is deeply flawed. And I think we've just found one of the flaws that other people aren't recognising. But I, I did feel a bit sorry for Dusan Vlaovic in all of this because I can't remember who gets the initial effort off. I think it's Rabiot, isn't it? And it's saved and it bounces off <laughs> bounces off Dusan Vlaovic. And number nine, a striker that was signed for a lot of money, it bounces off his shin less than a yard from goal and somehow doesn't go in after that bounce and instead has to be swept home by Rabiot having touched probably three other legs in the meanwhile. And I just thought, I mean, when your luck's not going for you, it's it's really not going for you. But then at the other end, Lazio turned it on again in the second half, Vito, and scored a stunning goal that should be worth three times the amount what Juventus's was. And the the best part of it for me is that can you finish? Good, fine. Luis Alberto's little flick. Oh. oh, just the improvisation on the Spaniards' part to just do that. Overall, it was a fantastic move, but uh, to pull off the back heel and do it without looking at where Zakani is, it just gives that sense of telepathy. They have that understanding and they know where they're going to move. And it goes back to the point about uh, how we were discussing how Sarismo is you know, taking shape. Uh, that's part of what that philosophy is about, you know, having those attacking moves and having a great sense of where your teammates are going to be and and Zakani to finish it off was a very cool finish too. Is Zakani just like the best player at finding space in the league or something? Because he just keeps scoring from that exact same bit of the box <laughs> and there's never anyone near him. And it's like, well, that, that's that's got to be, it's got to be at least partly down to his own ability to find space and not just bad defending. But it always seems to be him. I'm trying to think. I was hoping you'd speak for a bit longer. Better players at finding <laughs> space than Zakanyi's. <laughs> Just is the second I said that, and Vito put the same word. The German word I means space investigator. Yeah, it's good, that, like that. isn't it? It yeah. is good. Um, I think Di Maria might be in that category as well, you know, because he just yeah, he's a floater, does not he? Um, but different spaces. Di Maria pops into those spaces between the defensive and the midfield lines, whereas Zakani moves between the fullback and the centre-back. And it's more of yeah. a, a vertical line, whereas Di Maria goes more horizontally. It's in more of a goal-scoring sense. He, yeah. he just seems to pick up that back, back post area. Not not like on the post, but you know in front of it. Um, 
in a very like that's the same little area that he scored the winner against Roma in as well. And there will be other examples I can't think of immediately. Yes, there will be, but we're not going to talk about them because we're going to talk about some brilliance in the form of Ochoa because Salernitana got a point against Inter and it's a point that they did not deserve by any stretch of the imagination, but Ochoa deserved three points. Unbelievable. (laughs) It's not at all over the top to say that he's the reason they got a point here because Inter should have been gone. Salernitana were only still in the game partly because Inter are Inter, but because Ochoa was making these ridiculous saves the whole time. It shouldn't have been 1-0 at that stage of the game. And as the old adage goes, anything can happen at that stage of the game. And my God, did anything happen. <laughs> of all the things that could have happened, it's Inter's ex-player boot him on into the top corner by accident. Thank you for adding that it was an accident. Because... <laughs> but do you know what? I'm not... We'll get on to Kondrava. Let's talk more about Achor first, right? Because there, there's a couple of saves in particular that I want to mention. There's... I was just taking a note of them as I was going back through the highlights this evening. And I wrote, oh, there's one on Lukaku where Lukaku heads it down and Ochoa like stops it with his foot on the line. And then there's the one on De Vray where Ochoa is in the back of his net. Like, mm, that's the one. At the back. And he does like a, a Superman dive forward and clears it off the line. And then it goes to goal line technology. And you can see just how close it was to fully go. Mm. Like, most of the ball is in. I think without technology, we could have seen that given as a goal quite easily. I thought it was in in real time. I assume yeah. the ref was about to blur. I did too. I did too. But then there's another one on Lukaku, which I think is actually my favourite of them. Not the best, but my favourite, where Lukaku does everything right. He gets a show off hard, low, and it's close enough to Ochoa that he can't really get down to it if he's human. But Ochoa's not. And he somehow gets down to it and not only stops it, but gets it away. It was just unbelievable. But Vito, niggling in my mind while I'm watching this and thinking that Ochoa is the best goalkeeper of all time is that Inter have made a lot of goalkeepers look quite good this season. So how much of this is Ochoa being excellent and how much of this is just Inter being Inter again? To be honest, I reckon it's more of the former. I think Ochoa has been an excellent purchase for Salernitana this season. And if we were to base performances just on half a season, um, Ochoa would be my pick for goalkeeper of the season. But, uh, you know, considering that we'd probably do a team of the season by the end of it, you can't just really consider those six months. You've got to look at the whole 38 rounds. So... That would be my main reason for not voting for him. Otherwise, since January, I don't think many goalkeepers have been as outstanding as Ochoa. There have been quite a few games in which Salernitana should have been humiliated, but he's kept them in the game with his saves. I feel like he's... I'm just looking at his career, and it's a bit more niche than I thought it was. I think we've we've all had him in our heads, more more so in an international sense, because that's where we all became aware of him. Purely in an international sense for me. Well, that, that's the thing. I, I've just looked. I was thinking, where did they get him from? I can't remember. I know it was on a free, but like, where was he? Um, the, I'd, I'd say the biggest club he's played for, like stature of club, is Malaga. Yeah. Back in like 2014 to 2017. He only played 11 times for them. Like, it's Standard Liège, Club America, Granada, um, a couple of other teams that are smaller. 
I sort of assumed that he was at like you know someone like PSV or something for a while. You know that that sort of level Europa League level sort of club, but he's not been. He's he's just been doing his own thing, and now he's rocked up here, and he's absolutely immense at the age of thirty-seven. Yeah, it's odd. It's really odd. I used to love World Cups. Well, I, I still do love World Cups. The last one was a little bit. My enjoyment was was very yeah. much tainted, but it got to the point where Ochoa, the World Cup before the most recent one, where was that Russia? When I was coming into the Russia World Cup, and I realized, like, when you're at peak World Cup excitement. And then I thought, oh, that, the Mexican goalkeeper, Ochoa's going to be here. And then my excitement just went up again. because he's, he's just, They've wheeled him out. <laughs> it does feel, it did feel like that, right? And now we get to see him every week. And it turns out he is just brilliant. Like, he's got that thing about him that Mignon had for his first, like, month or two at Milan where you knew he was brilliant, but also you thought, something here that he's going to do wrong and it's going to look spectacularly wrong because he's a bit funny looking at times. And Ochoa <laughs> still does do the odd thing where you think, not sure what you were trying to do there, mate, but mostly he's excellent to have. But we've got to talk about Antonio Candreva, Vito, because I'm going to say he meant it. Burnsy's already said he didn't mean it. You saw him play for your club, Sampdoria, for a lot of his more recent years. So I'm going to ask you to have the decisive vote. Ooh, Kandreva. I can make an argument if you want. Look, he has scored some spectacular goals, but uh, that particular one, I think he didn't mean it. (sighs) And the thing is, is, um, it's always crossing technique it's like he's a poor man's David Beckham and it's sort of like <laughs> quantity of crosses are there but the quality is not always the case that being said he does provide the odd outrageous goal but I think in terms of ridiculousness I don't think anything tops this I I'm gonna make my case because how often in his career with Lazio, then with Inter, then with Sampa, now with Salernitana, does Antonio Candreva have a ball in a position where you think he's going to put this into the box and he quite obviously shoots and it's a terrible shot because he should never be shooting from that position? I honestly think he's done that again, where he's done a shot where nobody in their right minds would have a shot or think to have a shot and this time it's gone in. But I think he meant it. See, in these positions, generally, I'd, I'd like to back the idea that the player meant it. I think it's always more fun to think they meant it. It's it's better than accidents. But I, I just quickly was looking at it again, and I just think he, he doesn't he doesn't do the glance that players do before they do that sort of thing. Because There's always spent, like a little extra glance. 20 years shooting at the goal from that part of the pitch. Mm. I just think everything about his body shape looks like he's doing a normal cross. There's players in the box to be crossed to as well. It's not like there's no one there. There's two people in the middle of the box and somebody towards the back post. I just think, he's Antonio unfortunately, Andrea. in this sense. Not well, having a... And he looked a bit shocked as well. <laughs> I'm out, I'm out, yeah, because he's been trying every 20 years and it's not one's worth from. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to say that he didn't mean it, but I, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm happy for him nonetheless. Anyway, it was. I'm glad he did it. Regardless of whether he meant it or not. Does anyone feel any bit of sympathy for Inter? No. Why? No. 
Just because there's there's only so long that a club can have so many self-inflicted issues, and like it, 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 any feeling sorry for them gets chipped away at, mm. and it's it just gets a bit boring after a while. Like they're just in awful form now. How much of this blame goes to Inzaghi, Vito? Because we've we've sat here speaking about how Inter have chance after chance. They had twenty five shots in this game, and they only drew one one. If that is happening all of the time, can that really be blamed on Inzaghi or do we have to just cut him a bit of slack? Uh, putting aside the fact that he he's not the type of coach to really change formations, I don't think you can really blame him too much. I mean, it's not him that's on the pitch. I know it's cliche to say, but more than anything, it's not him that's... Um, you know, controlling the opposition goalkeeper for making all those saves. Uh, ultimately, uh, it's really the players. They really need to step up. Uh, Lautaro, although he's second in the Capo Canoniere race to Ozyman, uh, he has his inconsistencies. Lukaku has been back in action for some time now, but he's just looked um, woeful. And uh, there are other players that are usually top contributors, but um, they're not uh, performing to the standard. Even, you know, a player like Barella, you know, he's not performing as well as he did early on in the season. Where I might blame Inzaghi is that he probably should be benching Dumfries a bit more because when I see Dumfries at Inter, he's nowhere near the play he's for the Netherlands. With the Dutch, he knows how to put in good crosses and get into scoring positions. But with Inter, he looks like a totally different player. And uh, I saw, not from this game, but from the game before, I saw someone, I think it might have been uh, Nima, suggesting that Raul Bellanova should be playing more as the right wing back. And I agree with that sentiment because even though Bellanova's raw, he's got great stamina and he's got incredible pace. I think given how Inter play, they're not looking as fast as they usually are. Even just someone like Bellanova to just sprint down the right wing and put in a simple cross, that might shake things up a bit. Nima's been banging the Bellanova drum all season and probably Lance as well. And it's, it's one that I knew you'd be well on board with, Vita, to be fair. It's right up your street. Um, Brendan, I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to talk about that video now? Or do you want to talk about a couple of games before we discuss it? Let's do the games. I think moaning about the video is going to be the highlight. So um, we'll keep them talk on. about keep the football first, for shall we? Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I don't know if I can wait, but we'll, we'll, we'll try. just power our way um, through some more football. There is a link here, Bernsey, because I, I don't think Inter and Roma are actually all that dissimilar this season in that they should score way more goals than they actually do. Um. And they kind of had that situation again against Torino. It took an early Paolo Dybala penalty for them to get their narrow little win. Little win. That's so dismissive. I'm sorry, Roma fans. (laughs) Well done. Just just how thankful are those little red and yellow slugs for the existence of Paolo Dybala? Extremely. He's having quite a weird season in the sense that, like, I don't, immediately, when I hear his name, I don't immediately go, yes, he's absolutely nailing it week in, week out sort of thing. But then, you look at his like his, his numbers are very, very good. It's it, it the, the numbers are what 
Roma would have wanted and expected upon doing that deal. Can you imagine if he was playing at this level, but the strikers playing alongside him were competent as well? His numbers would be mm. a joke. But that's the thing. He's He's got the numbers he has. We keep saying numbers. I ought to find them so, <laughs> to, to back up the point. But he's got the mythical numbers that I'll soon get with a Tammy Abraham who is nowhere near himself for basically the whole season. So in the league, he's got 11 goals and seven assists. That is, that's very good. Yeah, three and one in the Europa League, one and none in the Copper. And he had an injury or two as well. Well, that's the thing. I I was going to say one of the most, one of the best things about him at Roma this season is that just having a penalty taker that you can pretty much bank on every time. Um, Obviously, that's how they won against Torino. The reason that popped into my head, as you said, injuries, is that obviously he did get one of the injuries whilst taking a penalty earlier in the the season, which is quite funny. Um, As much as that annoyed me, I can see the comedic value in that. While he was injured, didn't Belotti miss the penalty against Serena? And then Dybala came on and basically got them back into that game. Yeah, but he's, he's a wonderful footballer. And like you say, I think if he stays, although there is that, worrying very little release clause that supposedly a lot of big clubs are thinking that's worth a punt. I think it's something like 15 million euro or something. Um, he's still only 29. Um, if he does stay, assuming they've got either a better Abraham or a different striker there next season, he, he should be even better again. In a football context, that's the first time I've heard someone say only 29. And as a 29-year-old, <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm very pleased about that because usually I hear my age being referred to as way over the hill, and that upsets me deeply when you when you try and apply that to your life and where you are. But anyway, <laughs> less less of my own existential crises. Um, oh, this wasn't meant, but I've just said crises. Sampdoria Vito, they they've done it again. They really should have won this game against Grimanese. They were 2-1 up until very, very late on. And they lost 3-2 at home. It's heartbreaking at this point. Mm. Uh, it's just, it was a hard to res- result to take once I, once I saw it. Yeah, um, just unbelievable to be 2-1 up for the majority of the game and then to just crumble in the last five minutes plus injury time. Uh, yeah, it's... yeah. Not uh, an ideal result at all because Cremonese were on the bottom of the table. There was a chance for another home win. This was it. And things were going so well. Algello was having a fantastic game, providing assists for both goals. And then just all of a sudden, it collapsed for Sump. And uh, and to lose, especially that Cernicola goal, it was a great strike, but... At the death, well, that just made it worse because you knew just you couldn't really rescue a point from that end. It seemed for a while that everything was just going Sam's way, right? Because Medi Leris put the 1 0 up. Okay, Guglione leveled in the first half as well, but Leris was playing at a level that I don't think a lot of people have seen him play at for most of the first half, at least. Uh, Graham from the North Curve was going on about this on, on Twitter and then he very much reverted to type in the second half and even Sam Lammers scored and, and like Sam Lammers is an ex of Atalanta I, I've seen him he's able to do little things with his feet but generally I don't really know why he's still playing in Serie A 
And that was his first goal for Sam. And he thought, okay, no, this is just Samper having one of their days. And the clock is ticking on. And you think, okay, now we're in the, the 84th minute. We're going to get there. And then, boom, boom, two goals in 10 minutes. And it's, it's finished. And it, it's hard to look at this now and see any other outcome this season like than, than relegation. Samper bottom on 15 points. They're now 11 points adrift. It's 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 not going to happen, is it? That they're just going down, Vita. That's what it's all pointing down to. Uh, as I alluded to just before, this was a game that uh, Samp could have and should have won, but to uh, lose to Cremonese out of all teams, and just to go off on a bit mm. of a tangent, you know, to lose to that coach, given his previous history. Uh, yeah, it just shows that <laughs> he's got it in. He's got it in, listeners. He's made the reference. <laughs> Vito, well That's done. Coach. That was impressive. That was impressive. For... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. You caught me off guard. Continue. Oh, nothing else much to say. Otherwise, I'll be going off like a broken record. <laughs> I mean, you've got your your obligatory Genoa mention in with with Ballardini, so I'll give you yeah. that. Well done, um, Bernsey. Are you like me in that you're finding it hard not to feel really sorry for Samp every week now? Yeah, um, I'd say only in the last maybe three four weeks, as it's become like really abundantly clear if it wasn't already, and also it. You know, as we keep saying, it's not just that it's a bad football team; it's that there's other problems that make it more sad. Yeah. Um, this game in particular, if, if there was anyone who was still funny, funny, this has got to be the game where you're like, Jesus Christ, like, that 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 is a bleak situation to to lose a game like that. Um, oh, I mean, just, there's there's, no, there's nothing to say about it. The video is not said. It's horrible. No, they they really cannot catch a break. This season, I, I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Sam, but I think my sympathy became something that I couldn't stop, that that I couldn't overlook every week was was when they went to Atalanta that time. I think it was still in January at this point, and I was there and the press box, one of the press boxes is right beside the away section, and I just spent a lot of the night looking at the Sam fans because they brought so many people, they were so vocal, so colourful. And they've been excellent basically everywhere they've gone. And that night in particular, it was freezing. And I mean, Genoa to Bagamo is not a—it's not the longest trip in Italy. In any other country, it's a significant distance. Like it shouldn't be played down as being a short trip or whatever. But this time again, my sympathy just went through the roof because before today. Well, even now, Samp had only won one Serie A match at home this season, and that was their last one. They beat Verona 3-1. Again, Verona, a team down there. Maybe there's a little bit of hope. If they follow that up with a win against Cremonese, they've beaten the two teams immediately above them at home in consecutive weeks. And just when you think the clouds are starting to break and you can see that little bit of sun creeping through in a blue sky, boom, it's gone. And I, I think... It's it's really really heartbreaking for for anybody, even if you don't like Sam, to just imagine this being your club, 
and then you consider all of the off-field nonsense as well and it's it's really difficult not to spend a little bit of time thinking about them and feeling quite sorry for them but to a much more positive note Bologna are excellent and Bologna are very much a club on the up at the moment they went away to Atalanta and won 2-0 Burnsy and I'm brought back to that phrase that someone beside me at the Dalara said earlier this season before they beat Inter, when it just felt like they were going to beat Inter. This is a Bologna for Europe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this form, has, this form has probably carried on a bit further than people may have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that them and Fiorentina, uh, you know, if you set aside someone like Napoli for a second, a kind of form teams in, in Serie A. They, they they just look very balanced, don't they, Bologna? Everything... Is, sorry, but this is what I said after that Inter game. I think we have to stop talking about it as form now. I think Motta mm. just has them as being a good team because they are balanced. There's no blatant weaknesses. I think Bologna are just good. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking through the results now. They have still got the odd one in them. Uh, <laughs> in this, you know, they, they, they lost away at Torino recently. They lost at home to Monza not a million years yeah. ago, kind of, kind of within this form, if, if you'll allow me. Uh, <laughs> no, rejected. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think, I think you know, the Europe thing probably. I think there's just too many teams above them, um, and too much of a points gap for that to necessarily happen. But they're certainly showing the sort of form where, if they'd found it earlier in the season, it could have been possible. It's all Sartori's work, Vito, isn't it? We need to stop giving more the credit and just say it's Sartori. Yeah, I think Giovanni Sartori has been a fundamental part of this rise for Bologna. His way of identifying players and getting them on good deals, I think it's been a big plus. He orchestrated the Kievo miracle, essentially, for 20 years. And he was a big part of uh, Atalanta's glorious run in the last few years, getting those players for Gasparini. And now he's doing it for Motta and allowing Motta to produce a team that can play the football he wants. So he certainly has an incredible eye for talent and also not needing to spend extravagantly to get those plays to the club. It's hard not to like them. It's a brilliant city, lovely stadium. Thiago Motta comes across very well. I like the way his teams play football. Musa Barrow's there. Lovely guy. What a man. And Giovanni Sartori as well. So <sighs> I would have preferred they beat someone else this weekend, but there you go. Uh, Birdsy, you've drawn the short straw. Milan nil. Empoli nil. Uh, I mean, if, if that doesn't quite nicely sum Milan up at the moment, I don't know what does. You go and beat Napoli 4-0 and then you draw 0-0 with Empoli. Genuinely stupid team, aren't they? Yeah, they are daft. Um, he, he rotated a fair bit. Um, not entirely through choice. Apparently, I think, I think Liao was a bit ill or something, or possibly somebody else was it. There's a few little little niggly issues like that, with, which when you factor in the Champions League game coming up as well, led to a, an unusual looking starting eleven. Um, and you know it didn't work. You know they they, they chucked on Giroud and he did score, but it was a handball. And it was the right call as well, yeah. um, which also nicely adds to the summing up of them. In that, even even when they did manage to grab a goal, <laughs> it didn't count. There, it just feels like every single time it looks like Pioli might have figured it out again, something else happens that 
makes it look bad. And so, suddenly all that excitement of beating Napoli 4-0 and going into the Champions League tie, suddenly I'm looking at it again. I'm like, well, surely they're not going to win that tie. Like, they, they, they can't they can't do Napoli over two games, surely. Whereas if they'd just gone and beat Napoli, uh, Empoli 2-0, I'd be like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe they maybe they have found the formula, maybe they can do it. They've just sapped it all away again. Yeah, Vito choose one. Udinese two, Monza two, Fiorentina one, Spezia one, Verona two, Sassuolo one. Uh, look, I'll go with the with the two two draws since that was a game I watched in full. How was that? Because so, I didn't watch any of this. Ah, uh, fair enough. Well, yeah, fortunately. Udinese Monza was at a good time for me. It was an 8.30 p.m. kickoff in Australia. So 12.30 in... Very unfortunate for that to be that kickoff because that's that's what you want the best game to be, isn't it? Oh, for me, definitely. I don't start too late and I don't have to get up early in the morning. I actually saw a decent chunk of this game. Um, and Sandy Lovridge is a very good player. <laughs> it looked like a one-man show in the first half. Even though Monza had a lot of possession, they were moving the ball very slow. So that allowed Udinese to break pretty quickly. And it looked like Lovrich and uh, Di Gregorio were having a little battle of their own in the first half. Then but, after yeah. the break, Monza moved the ball a bit quicker. Got two nice goals through Colpani and Rovella. And uh, Rovella perhaps should have uh, killed it off. Although probably the angle where the ball was to head in might have been a bit of a tough one. And then for Petania to give away, which I thought was a soft penalty, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was a bit unfortunate. I've not I seen it, but I agree. Petania should never have a penalty given against them. Um, Burnsy pick one. The other's not getting spoken about. Fiorentina one, Spezia one, or Verona two, Sassuolo one. Uh, didn't see either. Let's go with Verona because there was two late goals, was there not? <laughs> and that is therefore interesting. And it's very sassuolo <laughs> for that to happen. <laughs> um, that's your analysis of the game. Good. Um, I can't yeah. offer anything more. Although I was in the city of Verona when this kicked off. There's one for wow. you. Felt really odd getting the train to Verona and seeing the floodlights at the stadium and knowing that I'm not going to that stadium because I think every other time I've been there in the last two years, I've seen the stadium and been like, oh, I'm I'm going there in a minute. That's going to be fun. Mm. Um, But it wasn't to be. Let's talk about the video, shall we? Because I'm confused. Do do either of you (laughs) have an idea what's going on here? There's a particular part of it that's really angered me. Should I break it down for Is it the maths? Because that annoys me. Um, so, Saria, I've published a video for n- no apparent reason. And it's only a minute long. And it's the worst thing I think I've ever seen them do in terms of attempting to sell themselves. So we've got Fabio Capello, Luca Toni, and Fabio Cannavaro, right? And you're watching it, and it, it takes 15 seconds. Right, there's only three examples of anyone speaking. Each of them have one line, and none of their lines are more than five words in the video. So they're just in a bit in a lovely big theatre, and Capello just walks out into the aisle and looks up at Canavaro, who's on a balcony with a big camera inexplicably, and says, Are you ready? And then Cannavaro waits a few seconds and goes, yes, I'm ready. And points the camera at an empty stage. 
where Luca Tony then strolls onto and pulls the curtain back and goes, Here we go! And then there's just highlights of Italian players doing things. And then the narrator comes in and says, What? Six Italian teams in Europe's last eight. No, the fucking isn't. <laughs> it's not. It's six in 24. <laughs> it's just wrong. But then after that, they put up a chart showing that there's more than two other teams left in Europe. So yeah. what have they tried to do there? It's six across the three tournaments. It's six teams across three tournaments. last eights. Yeah, it's six teams out of 24 are Italian, which is still a great thing. Um, not trying to belittle the achievement well, of the really teams. good. The maths is wrong. It's it's like, it, 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 that makes it sound like what they're saying is there's six Italian teams in the last eight of the Champions League, mm. which is impossible. Yes. <laughs> but did no one... So obviously, someone had the idea and then told it to someone else and it probably went through a few other people before it went to the narrator. Why did not one person say, we sure about these numbers? Yeah, and also the narrator sounds like native English yeah. as well. So I, I kind of thought maybe they, yeah, may, maybe everyone else involved, maybe there was some sort of language issues. It, it still definitely shouldn't get that far. Um, but a native English speaker, you'd think would be like, that's not quite right. It may well be that it's someone who doesn't actually know anything about football. They, they are just purely do voice I and they just read his voice. But... I think he might be the guy who did the original Juventus documentary. His voice did Ooh. jump out at me for some reason. But then anyway, they do that. And then after 42 seconds, Fabio Capello just says, Calcio is back. And then there's like 10 seconds of awkwardness. And then it just looks at the three of them sitting in the theatre and for no reason Luca Tony just does his celebration. <laughs> Doesn't it say something at the end like better than all the rest or yeah, something it like says that? The, I think it's said the best league in Europe. That was it, yeah. It's like there's, there's just no need for that. No. It's not. No. <laughs> I love it, but it's not. <laughs> and that's the thing that a lot of Serie A fans get annoyed about Premier League for saying. Exactly, yeah. It's, Come it's... on. Come on. Absolute tripe. But go and watch it, everybody. Because you need to. It's only a minute. You'll probably watch it twice, Vito. I just think overall that particular ad is just cringeworthy. Mm. Not only that, I can just see it backfiring next year if the Italian (laughs) clubs have a bad season. But not even a bad season. When they don't have a freak season. Because... If you go back in all of the years of European football over the last 10, it's just like knocked out of the last 16, knocked out of the group stage, last 16 group. Someone does okay in the Europa League. Last year, a new tournament was invented below the Europa League and an Italian team won it. Great. But generally, this season is the outlier. It's odd that this is happening this season, especially when you see how bad most of these teams are in Italy as well. And within two weeks, you could feasibly have only one of these teams left. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're at least guaranteed one staying in. But apart from that, they, they could all still go. There's two legs of everything to play. After that video, 
I hope every Italian team that can get knocked out gets knocked out in the next round of Europe because they don't deserve it. That'll learn him. <laughs> Honestly. And I'll just I'll gif Luca Tony just going, well, kind of arrow looks at him with a little grin on his face. I want to know, did they pay them, do you reckon? Yes. They, they have to have paid Fabio them. Capello's not doing that for no money. Cannavaro worked in China. He needs a big pay as well if he's going to do something. <laughs> they would have got paid too much money to do that. Lucas only just looked happy to be out of the house, actually. He did, didn't he? Just, he, he, really he had that did. kind of vibe about I've no idea what he does with his days, but he had that vibe about him. Well, based on that video, <laughs> he just sits around like, I don't know if he's got a family, but he probably just looks at them in the house and then goes and does his little <laughs> celebration. Sitting there oh, being best doing that thing again. <laughs> <laughs> Kids too young to remember it. Unbelievable. And we're gonna we're gonna stop there because there's nowhere we can go after that that would make any sense. But listeners, do head over to what am I gonna say? TotalFinitalianFootball.com for news reports, articles, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. I've got an exclusive interview going out this week, and I hope to have done one to then publish a week or two after that as well. So there's, there's things happening, some fun things happening, particularly if you're Irish listeners, we're having a good time. So head over to TotalHypeFromItalianFootball.com for that. If you want bonus podcasts, then just go to Patreon.com slash TotalItalianFootball where for as little as two euro a month, you can get too many bonus podcasts. This week we'll have the Women's Football Podcast looking at the Italian national team who are playing a friendly on Monday. We'll have the Europod and we'll have the Serie A preview pod as well. A pretty normal week includes three bonus podcasts and you can do it for just two euro a month. So I think it's more than worth your while. Thank you to all of the pre-existing patrons. If you're not a patron, we'll speak to you next week. Patrons, we'll speak to you three times before we talk to anybody else. Bernsey, say goodbye. Can I say one thing quickly? Um, fun fact of the week for everyone. Better be fun. <laughs> um, Paolo Dybala is the uncle of a player who currently doesn't have a club and his name is Lautaro Dybala and I think that's quite cool that's it that was not <laughs> worth no because imagine if Dybala had ended up at Inter <laughs> <laughs>